where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode of Paid in Puke, we say hello to Lulu Wang's 2019 family drama, The Farewell, starring Aquafina. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me when that is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, Nana will find out right away. Shouldn't we tell her? Isn't that wrong to lie? It's a good lie. Most families in China would choose not to tell her. She's dying. Can you be a little more sensitive? What do you want from me? To scream and cry like you? Ah! I want to believe that's a good thing. I really like this IMDb synopsis, and I'm so shit at coming up with synopses, so I'm just going to read this verbatim. A Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies, based on an incident from Wang's real life. I hadn't seen this movie until now, even though it swept awards season. Well, yeah, it won some awards. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely was nominated for everything. Aquafina did win a Golden Globe for Best Actress. I looked it up is the only reason I Because <laughs> I was like, I feel like it must have won something. It was all over the place. And then I looked it up today and it was a lot of independent spirit, blah, blah. They go on the movie poster, but you don't ever see the award ceremonies. It was nominated for a bunch of things, at least at the Oscars. I know that's not the only award show, but it's the only award show I pay attention to, really. Yeah. The Golden Globes is always fun to watch. That's the one where the stars get so drunk. This will be actually maybe extra fun to watch this year if it's all at home, because everyone will be so much more drunk at home. Oh, wait, did you guys watch the Emmys? I watched clips after the fact. There were some good speeches. But yeah, it was interesting. They sent the hazmat suit tuxedo guy to everybody's house. Mm -hmm. And if he won, he'd come in and give them the statue. (laughs) The open bits, usually there's jokes. Without having the live audience laughing, it was just really off. I don't know. I did see a little bit of Jimmy Kimmel talking and they had a laugh track. It seemed weird. And then my husband showed me a video of, I forget who it was. 
they were a nominee for something and there was some guy standing outside their house in the hazmat suit with the award while they were announcing it the person was just standing there creepily with the award <laughs> and then when they didn't win the guy with the award just walked away oh my god <laughs> such terrible. a strange way to yeah. how did yeah. they come up with that right like Do you have to <laughs> hold the award while you're giving the speech? I don't get it, but... They should just give a dummy award to hold the... I mean, I don't know. That's a weird one. <laughs> what are they giving? Well, I think in the actual award show, if it were the regular thing, they would have an award that wasn't engraved yet. Right. So I think they just had extra awards that weren't engraved yet, but they were the actual one because nobody knew until they opened the envelope. If they're going to do that, instead of having them outside their door, just give them to them ahead of time. And then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, why be I'm outside sure the door? I'm nominee swag gift basket anyway. Like, put it in there. All this up if you win. You yeah, like, exactly. It seems like that middleman could have been eliminated. It does. I mean, maybe they thought it'd be funny. And yeah. that's why they did it. But it wasn't that funny to do that. It actually raised more questions than, yeah. than was funny. But I guess I couldn't see Jimmy Kimmel being like, this will be hilarious. It wasn't. Anyway, that's one of our classic, classic pain and puke tangents. Straight out the gate, a tangent. Great pate, but I got a motor if I want to be ready for that party tonight. I'll start off with the fun fact, which okay. is that Lulu Wang's actual great aunt played Billy's great aunt in the movie, the grandmother's sister. Yeah. Oh. That wow. was Lulu Wang's actual great aunt. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do always like that when somebody's real life relative plays their relative in a movie or yeah. TV show. I think that's always great. I mean, I definitely enjoy it when they are professional actors, a professional acting family, <laughs> but it's also great when they're non-professional. It's basically about the lies we tell our family. The core theme for me that I took away from this was obviously there's a big cultural thing of lying that Billy discovered when she got there that this was a very normal thing to lie to your relative if they're dying of terminal illness, but I also thought that it was more about how we always lie to our family. Everybody lies to their family about everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> kind of was the theme that I took away from it. At least what was relatable to me was all the little lies that everyone was telling each other all the time. What about you guys? <laughs> yeah. Going into the movie, I knew, well, it starts out, it says it's based on an actual lie. And then you notice in the movie throughout how there's a lot of other little lies or with not telling someone something and kind of the same thing about how common it is to lie to people who are close to you or just not tell the exact truth just to make everything more comfortable if you don't want to have conflict. There's little lies and the big lies and everything's kind of like woven together and I thought that was interesting to see in the movie and I feel like that's kind of how life is too. A lot of people do that with people and their family. Yeah, there have definitely been a lot of comedies about, maybe not a lot, but there have been a couple of comedies about the ridiculous scenario that would ensue if everyone was forced to tell the truth all the time. I don't think they've been successful in their execution, but the concept is interesting. We probably all lie every day at least a tiny bit about something. I mean, even if it's just as simple as someone at the grocery store asks how you are and you say you're fine. Right. Especially now, because Did no one is fine. Did you find everything you were looking Did you find for? everything? I have never answered that, honestly. No. <laughs> right? I have never said no to that question, no matter what. I'm not going to put that on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, can you find the beyond for me? I can't find. You were out of flour, so I didn't find the flour, but you can't do anything about it, so we don't need to have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the most common lie that people tell, is just like a conversation ender or shortener. Yeah. 
But there are lots of different reasons to tell lies, and I feel like most of them are selfish reasons. It's not to spare the other person grief, it's to spare yourself the experience of having to <laughs> experience their grief, I guess, or you just don't... Or just to make yourself look good, I think. Yeah, that's definitely another reason. <laughs> yeah, there are many reasons. I feel like that was the main theme of this movie. I saw it more, and I'm probably bringing so much from my own family stuff, but I saw it more about denial than about lies. I just feel like on some level she knows what's happening. The nine shadows, that's not a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when Billy's dad asks about the fellowship, and she's like, oh, I haven't heard yet. So what's going on with the fellowship? Nothing. You still haven't heard anything? No. Well, what are they going to let you know? I don't know, Dad. How are you doing with money? I'm fine. Can you afford this trip? Yes, I'm fine. You need help? No, fine. That kind of interaction, I feel like on some level, they know when someone isn't doing as well as they're putting across. I probably project that because that's my family's specialty was, was denial, you know, but that's the angle that I saw it more from. And that's a good hallmark of a movie is that if it's about a specific family or incident, but then everyone who watches it can see themselves in it in some way or relate to it in some way. Yeah. Definitely my family doesn't talk about things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of conversations that maybe things would have been better if we'd had them, but we never did and we never will. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was wondering about what happened to the cousin and his wife or his fiance, and then they eventually get married because they weren't dating very long. I mean, they yeah. didn't really, right? Like, did they, they not really get married? I mean, I thought it was like a fake wedding. Did the cousin really say, "Okay, well, I'll do this"? grandma. Well, I mean, they were definitely yeah. going to great lengths, so right. I didn't really know where the, yeah. <laughs> the lie ended. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I assumed that it was an illegal wedding that they went through. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Charade. Definitely, if I were the fiance, I would not have agreed to a real wedding. <laughs> <laughs> to somebody I've been dating for three months just to appease his dying grandmother. Right, especially part of the reasoning was knowing you're gonna die is what makes you die. Like, I mean, <laughs> what if oh. she gets better? You know yeah. I mean? How long are you gonna keep this up? Yeah. yeah. And then that's the twist of the movie, kind of, well, not the movie, but of the existence of the movie is that she did get better. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was thinking about that, too. The family said, we don't want to worry her, so we're just going to tell her it's fine. But is that there's nothing that can be done or like... That's what they were saying. Yeah. It was stage so... four lung cancer. When they are in the hospital with that doctor and Billy talks to him in English... He's basically like, it's very advanced. There's nothing we can do. How bad is she? You can tell me the truth. The cancer is quite advanced. Shouldn't we tell her? In her situation, most families in China would choose not to tell her. When my grandmother had cancer, my family didn't tell her. Isn't it wrong to lie? I mean, if it's for good, it's not really a lie. I mean, it's still a lie. It's a good lie. How's your grandmother? She passed away a few months after she was diagnosed. It's better to let her live the rest of her yeah. life. 
I, I when the doctor is saying it, to me, that yeah. spoke volumes about how cultural it truly is. Like, it really isn't just this family acting crazy. It's yeah. so ingrained in Chinese society to do this. Yeah. That even a doctor is like, yeah, of course. Of course I will go along with your charade. <laughs> and the fact that the grandma had done the same thing with her husband mm-hmm. made me think she's got to know on some level that right, this yeah. is what's happening and... I mean, she couldn't have felt great either. Right, you know? right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, here's these special expensive vitamins just for you. I just always yeah. feel stuff like that. Deep down somewhere, you know what's going on. So that makes me think that she might have been consenting to the charade, right? She's yeah. like, I know why this is happening, but everybody seems into it, and I'm okay with this too, or maybe she... I don't know. It's interesting to think, since everyone was so into lying to each other, if she knows, is she going along with it because she likes it better that way or because she thinks that if she calls them out on it, it will upset everybody? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's many layers to this. And also, if it is so ingrained in their culture, then that's probably enough. You know, like, this is what you do when Mm -hmm. you die. <laughs> I don't know how that works with the cancer. If the lie can go on, like if you get to the point where you're having a ton of pain and you're not able to do anything, like if that goes on for a long time, do you tell them, oh, it's okay? Or, I don't know. I, I know. I just, that's what's so. Wanna, that's another thing I that's wanna, interesting about the fact that she survived. I couldn't really find follow up info about it. I didn't look too hard, but I on my cursory Google search. I couldn't tell, like, did the cancer go away, or she just still has cancer, but she's been living this whole time. Because advanced lung cancer does take a toll on you. Stage four is not like, you just need a positive attitude. Yeah, like, you can't breathe. My mom's breast cancer had spread to her lungs, and the last month of her life, she had to carry an oxygen tank around with her everywhere she went to be able to continue breathing. So at that point, what is the lie? Right, yeah. Or do they just say, like, we're not going to give you oxygen, you're just going to die? Oh, I don't know. Because that, be, that was the other thing. Like, how much does the non-intervention play into it? Right. Yeah, I wondered about yeah, that, too. Yeah, the logistics are really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess this is kind of hot probs we've bled okay. into. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. It's hard to have hot probs over something that is so true to life because I know that Lulu Wang actually eschewed all attempts to Hollywoodize the story. This is basically the story. Uh, this is what happened. So I mean, it's hard to get hot probs. Okay, sure. sure. Well, let's have hot probs then. <laughs> I mean, my hottest of probs about this is basically the whole concept. Of, yeah. like, you know, when they say, very, oh, well, we have a saying, when people get cancer, they die. Chinese people have a saying. That I liked, you know, but then when she followed that up with because they're so worried and depressed that they have cancer. It's not the cancer that kills them, it's the fear. And then at the end it's saying, even though this is based on a real thing, saying like, oh, and look, now she's still doing fine. You know, that whole mentality, when you've lost someone to cancer at a young age. I'm speaking for myself, obviously, but like anytime somebody survives something that seemed like it was unbeatable, comes back from something, you know, like Lance Armstrong or something, and they credit their positive attitude, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like, that is a very hot pro. you know, it's like, cancer fucking kills people, you know, yeah. cancer is not like a bad mood. People who die of cancer, it's not like, well, I guess they just had a poor attitude, you know, right. like yeah. they just didn't want it bad enough. People who come back from seemingly unbeatable odds like that are incredibly lucky. Yeah, so, they probably have a lot of money too. Again, like coming 
putting my perspective oh. in, you know, which my brother was 38 years old when he died of oh, colon yeah. cancer, and money was definitely not a factor there. That idea, like, uh, when people get cancer, they die, that I was on board with. Mm -hmm. And then she followed it up with, because they're so worried about having cancer. No. It's a weird thing to have resentment about, like anytime somebody tells their uplifting story about how somebody beat cancer because of their great attitude, yeah. you know, I feel like an asshole saying like, fuck you, but if you beat cancer from that far advanced, you were incredibly lucky. You can credit your mm -hmm. holistic living and your good attitude and that's fine, but you have to also acknowledge that you were incredibly lucky, you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah, so that was a very hot prop for me. Is that, sure. You know, I understand that, yeah. And then my perspective of my mom who tried to cure her very treatable cancer with positive attitudes and holistic living and died from that. So she decided to not treat her cancer at all through Western medicine, and that's what killed her. That happened to Steve Jobs, too. You yeah, know, exactly. Jobs, he didn't have pancreatic cancer, which is a killer. He had a tumor on his pancreas, which was totally treatable, and he went Eastern medicine, yeah. you know, whatever he he, he like had a die. diet or something, uh -huh. special right, diet. Right. And my yeah. mom was trying to find out what his diet was, and I was like, are you like, fucking kidding me? It did not work. And, I mean, and he had a lot more money than you. All the money in the world. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess he didn't want it bad enough. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> You're right. That's tough when you have personal stories. Uh, yeah. Ugh. I did have a hard relay moment. I remember, you know the scene where they're all taking pictures with her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And everyone's, like, smiling. We're all so happy to be with this woman who's going to die, and these are probably the last photos that we're going to take of her. And I remember it. I was dating this guy, and we hadn't been dating very long when his mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm -hmm. And we probably might have broken up earlier than we did, but for this. I mean, it didn't feel like we were pretending at the time, but in retrospect... I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit of what was going on where we are pretending we were closer to forever than we were because, you know, we wanted her to die thinking her son's taken care of. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we did have this photo shoot that was a lot like that where we all lined up and took pictures with this woman and everyone's smiling and she looks so sick in these pictures. Aww. And then I was in some of them and I was not in some of them and it was just so weird, all the different configurations. It was such a strange photo shoot. The opposite of wedding photographs, but akin to that of like we're having these different configurations and now it's probably super <laughs> weird for him to look at these pictures and you're in them. You know what I yeah. mean? If you're someone who he dated really briefly and that was a long time ago. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so, okay, let's pretend this is forever. And yeah. Like, well, not forever. Now she's forever in these photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh my god. And his whole family too. There were extended relatives there who I hadn't met before who I met during this time. And I might never have met these people otherwise, you know? <laughs> Talking about the positivity thing, I noticed that when Billy is telling her mom she wants to stay and her mom's like, she says something like, but she can't be here looking at your sad face all the time or something. <laughs> I did really <laughs> like that. Mom? Yeah? I want to stay in China. And I'll take care of Nai Nai. What? You stay here to do what? You can cook, you can clean. I'll figure it out, Mom. So you just stay here. And what? Wait for her to die? What about the fellowship? Just forget about it, huh? And you're 30 years old. You just stop your life and stay here. And every day she have to look at you with that sad-looking face. That's not nice for anybody, right? 
It's kind of like the idea of no one can be sad around grandma because it will make her sick or it will negatively impact her life or something. My favorite part of the movie is when Billy's uncle is doing the speech and he's thanking his mother and it's almost like a eulogy and he starts breaking down and you know it's not about the wedding at all it's about thanking his mom and saying he loves his mom and then he's just like I'm so happy you know in yeah. the end, like the <laughs> yeah. of like this is so happy what a happy day <laughs> yeah that was my favorite part of it I think and it's also thinking about how lies with your family or people who are close to you. It's almost like you love them so much you don't want them to be upset. Mm-hmm. You kind of have that mindset of like, oh, this would be really hard for her to hear this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like, I just don't want them to know this isn't going so well. Or you kind of make that negotiation in your mind. Yeah, this is probably for the best. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. like those conversations you have in your head of how things would go and hedging a little bit or trying to make things as least unpleasant for the people that you love as possible. And um, Well, what's also interesting yeah. is the receiver of truth. Different people receive the truth in different mm-hmm. ways, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd be very honest with my husband about almost everything, but... I mean, probably everything. I can't think of any exceptions off the top of my head, but I lied to my mom all the time about everything because she couldn't hear the truth because whenever I would tell her the truth, it would be very upsetting to her and it would cause more problems. And she really was happier not knowing how I really felt about everything. (laughs) So it's interesting who can handle it and who can't. We don't really spend enough time with Nene to know if she can handle the truth or can't handle it. Because everyone has been coddling her in this way so long. Do you guys think that she could have handled it? (laughs) Could you tell? I think so, but I think she would have not believed it. I think that's kind of a common denial, too. Is like, oh, doctors don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know that one. (laughs) I got some casserole. Yeah. she could have handled it there was one scene where i can't remember what exactly she was talking about how she goes up and down on stairs a lot or she was like yeah. telling billy about her super healthy lifestyle yeah and I, was like, I would be so mad if i was dying and i have an overall pretty healthy lifestyle but i'll be pissed if my last meal is like grilled salmon and quinoa you know what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> like if i if i was dying i want to know so i can at least live it up for the last week or so right you know? right uh, oh my god totally i don't remember what it was she was talking about what she does every day she definitely said she walked up some stairs every day yeah maybe that's what it was but it's like yeah i don't want to be doing that if i have like a week to live you know i mean yeah yeah more than that but (laughs) i think there is something to be said for knowing you don't have that much time left so you can truly yolo because like that's you don't want to yolo when you've got a lot of time left but you can't live every day like it's your last or i would be dead of a heroin overdose but if it's my last day i want to live it that way exactly (laughs) might as well try heroin now right i'm not like a drug person at all but i know i would love heroin i mean i think everyone does I think pretty much everyone who tries it likes it. I have a friend who tried it and he said he felt it was very overrated. No! <laughs> and he didn't feel like... That's a t-shirt. Heroin is overrated. I mean, he did say, 
this was right around when Train Spotting came out. You know this scene when, when like he ODs and he like sinks into the yeah. floor. Which to me that was so appealing. It's true. <laughs> and he said that like, movie yeah. does make heroin. I love that the movie makes heroin. You know how it feels by watching that movie, but it also is very much a <laughs> don't do heroin it's a movie. Really yeah. Straight movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, he said yeah that was like very accurate, but. He didn't have a desire to do... I mean, I feel like it's, you know, some people are more drawn to stimulants. He was more of, like, a meth person. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. He wanted to try it, and he did. Because if he tried heroin, I'm sure he tried meth. I feel like you don't try heroin without having tried everything else, too. You're not like, I only did one drug in my life, and it was heroin. Right. Heroin isn't the only thing he ever did. And he actually, I'll tell the story. I can tell you who this was, too. Give me off mic. He tried it twice, because the first time he tried it, he had a friend who was a real recreational drug user, had done a little bit of everything. And he was like, you know, I want to shoot it, because that's supposed to be the best, you know, like, yeah. the best experience. Right. <laughs> So the first time he tried it, it was like a lot cleaner than she thought it was going to be. So he almost overdosed, you know. And he said it was just like Holy that. Shit. Yeah, right. right? Oh, wow. So then he tried it again just to try. I want the actual experience. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember what he said about that, but he was just very eh about it. I think I will put a t-shirt in the shop, though, by the way. <laughs> Heroin is overrated. <laughs> it's going to have very little to do with the farewell, but yeah, right, right. it just needs to be a t-shirt. That's yeah, all. that's a good, that's a good t-shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of opiates, <laughs> this is related very tangentially because when my mom was in hospice, that was, like, the only, like, Western intervention she allowed was okay, if I can die at home comfortably, we'll do that. And so they insisted on me filling these prescriptions for morphine. And they're like, towards the end, she's going to want them. Her mantra throughout her dying of cancer was so much for clean living because she was so angry that she had been a teetotaler her whole life and was very into, like, holistic food. She went to the health food store in Richmond, Virginia, the only health food store in Richmond, Virginia, way before anybody knew what quinoa was or anything anyway she was just like i'm not doing it there's no way and then the hospice nurse was like she's definitely gonna go for the morphine in the last week or whatever she's gonna want it there she never touched it (laughs) she was like she just prayed her way to death it was amazing and then afterwards (laughs) the nurse is like she's got all that morphine left i'm just gonna take it so you don't have to dispose of it and i was like yeah, thanks. Great. That's, yeah, I was really worried about what I was going to do with the morphine. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking this morphine. <laughs> Is there anything I can say now to get her to leave that behind? Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. Well, let's go. I'm already taking the gumption. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see, what else about this movie? Oh, here's another interesting thing about the movie, the meta fact about it, I guess, is because Nainai still lived, and then they made this movie, and she was still alive while they were making this movie, she's still alive now, for all I know, and they shot in her hometown. She was visiting Nainai every day, and the crew were using her bathroom and everything, and she still couldn't tell her what the movie was about. She said she still was lying to her the whole time they were shooting the movie like it's just about my family and coming back to China after living in America. That's what she told her. (laughs) I know. Like that's how much the lies perpetuated. That's kind of incredible. I really want to know 
if she still has cancer. I mean, like, how did she get over that? Yeah. I mean, the video, the clip they show of her in the end, she seems really joyful and she's like doing her exercises. And Yeah, they're like, six years later, she's still alive. Yeah. Wait, what? I mean, that happens. (laughs) You know, I mean, it is true that doctors don't know everything. They can't predict, uh, you know, they can give you a prognosis, but that can happen. You know, it goes into remission and you're fine for years and then it's, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. It just goes into remission. It just stops bothering you. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of amazing. Cancer is fucking weird. It is. Next call. One of my favorite parts, what probably my favorite part, was when Billy was talking to her mom about when they moved to the U.S. when she was a kid and how difficult that was for her in so many ways. You know, one of the few good memories of my childhood were those summers at Nine Eyes. They had that garden. Yeah, yeah, and I would catch dragonflies. And then we just moved to the States. Everything was different. Everyone was gone. It was just the three of us. And it was hard. It was hard for us, too. I wanted to believe that it was a good thing. But all I saw was fear in your eyes. And I was confused and scared constantly because you never told me what was going on. It was just like such a poignant statement about how specifically hard childhood can be, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like a major lifestyle change that you have no say in, you know, and it, especially like if, um, for me, you know, thinking about like how hard COVID has been, uh, how hard this year has been on kids, you know, it's a little meme that's gone around. It's like have patience with your children because in the middle of March, you picked them up from school and they never saw their friends again. Yeah. It hits such a sweet spot to me, how hard childhood can be. You know, as an adult, it's hard to remember and get your head around. You would never have a major life change as an adult that you didn't have some say in or that you didn't at least understand why it was happening. Yeah. You, know? you can always say you chose this. Right, <laughs> so right. To... Or like, so they're just like, okay, your life's upside down, deal, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite part of this whole movie. For my own kids this year, I still feel like COVID has had a much bigger effect on them than the fact that, oh yeah, their parents got divorced this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it didn't hit me in that area. It wasn't like, oh, now I have divorce guilt or anything like that. It yeah. was just sort of like, wow, that is so hard. Childhood can just be so sad for that reason. Yeah. I mean, it can also be affected by the divorces your parents choose not to have, right, right. <laughs> for instance. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think. Specifically, all this stuff happening this year with COVID, like, mm-hmm. I think it would be much harder on my kids if we had not separated. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. have divorce guilt. No, <laughs> I don't no. Have that at all. But, yeah, like you're saying, any decision that a parent makes does affect their kid, and even if they think it's for the best, for whatever reason, it's hard for a kid to understand that. And right. I mean, you don't always think to check in with them about it either. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's specifically in this movie, that's mm-hmm. a huge decision to move to another country. You think of all the factors that went into that, how an adult made that decision, they didn't make it lightly, and then for a child, it's like they didn't make the decision at all. You have a totally different life now, by the way. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made me think about in that scene where she's talking to her mom about when she was a kid and they left the family. There was Nai and all the cousins and family members. And then they went to America and they were alone. And obviously Billy saw that her parents were scared in America. They didn't know how it was going to work out. It seems like in Western culture, or I don't know if it's just American culture, but it seems like the nuclear family is the family. And in other cultures, the family is like 
all encompassing. Yeah. You have everyone. That's the family, and you're all supporting each other in a part of people's lives. It seemed like she missed out on having all those people who love her around her, and I don't know why that is in our country that it's just about mom and dad or whoever the parents and the kids. Yeah, and it's only divorce that makes your family bigger, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of nuts. Yeah. I grew up with family living on the same coast as I did, but we still had to travel hours in the car to get to them, and we would only see them once a year, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we had extended family in Brooklyn, which wasn't that far away, but we still only saw them maybe maybe twice a year. In the family that tight-knit, you do kind of have to think about how any decision you make affects 10 or 12 people instead of, you know, two people or four people. or Yeah. This whole ruse for, for this one person <laughs> and this whole group of people were changing their lives to do yeah. what they thought was best for her. Didn't Billy's aunt, she moved out of her husband's house to go live with yeah that's true she was like i miss my husband yeah Yeah. i thought that was interesting too that was interesting uh, don't worry about me i'm gonna move back to my husband and i've got travel plans and stuff what happened with that if she yeah (laughs) no never dies Uh, (laughs) right the part where David Cross is playing the guitar and he keeps stopping and going, wait, 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 because my kids do that all the time when they're doing anything like they want to show me. Wait, 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 Whoa, dude, you're incredible! Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and then they start listing all the musicians who have imminent death syndrome. Many famous people have had IDS. Juliette Lewis, the actress, has it. Uh, Jerry Lewis struggles with it every day. These people are all very good at what they do. The best ever. Novelist Anne Rice, Clarence Thomas, Stephen Hawking, brilliant man, Uh, Quentin Tarantino, the actor, not the director, Hootie, and two of the blowfish. Uh, The man who draws Ziggy. the man who draws the family circus. Many famous cartoonists. <laughs> He's like, what about Jeff Foxworthy? <laughs> I've never seen more Mr. Show. I didn't have... Do you yeah, know the sketch have... we're talking about? No, no. Oh, my I God. I need to see it. Yeah. The premise is that there are some people who are about to die, so everybody is pretending that they're great at the thing they do. <laughs> and so it's like to explain why a bunch of shitty musicians are famous. <laughs> It is very funny. I highly recommend Mr. Show. There's not very much of it, so <laughs> you could definitely easily burn through it in a weekend. And it's kind of amazing how it was so long ago, and it's still so relevant, and some of the sketches were actually even kind of prescient, which is terrifying. This movie made me want to get takeout so bad. There was so much <laughs> So much eating. So much. Constantly eating and cooking. That's a hard relate from my family. It's like, that's all we do. At least with my dad when I got together with my... <laughs> mom as much because she was always on a diet or always eliminating this or that but all my (laughs) dad and I do is talk about what we're gonna eat next while we're eating something (laughs) or talk about foods we've eaten before that we enjoyed that's like our whole relationship (laughs) that's it that's what we talk about instead of our feelings or the things that happen in our lives I like the moment where they go to Nai Nai's 
husband's gravesite, and they bring him all of these things that he would like. And then her mom is talking about how you always have to act really sad, or people don't think you loved someone. You know, when my father died, I also very sad, but I don't act like you. When I went back to China for the funeral, everybody was watching me. They always expect me to fall apart. And they think if I don't cry, I don't like my father. No one's asking you to cry. I don't like, you know, put all my emotion on display, like I'm in the zoo. But in here, if you don't cry, you don't put a show, they think you don't love your family. And they hire professional criers. <laughs> The next scene is someone at a funeral. This lady that's pro-level crying. Yeah, like, she's just wailing. And yeah. <laughs> you know, in here, they even hire some professional criers just to show how sad they are. This is so ridiculous. I hate that. That all kind of like goes into the lying or the theme of the movie about appearances and trying to I don't know. Well that also I mean, speaks to their culture and how that's such an interesting dichotomy between performative sadness and performative happiness, right? Like why can you never really feel the way you feel? You have to be yeah. performative in every aspect of your life. Yeah. To the point where you're like, I spent my whole life pretending everything was fine and now I don't know how to be sad. So I have to hire someone to be sad for me. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's like a cultural thing that really exists and really happens. Like we definitely in America pretend to be happy, but we don't have pretend to be sad, really. Yeah, I don't, not really. Yeah, definitely the pretend to be happy one. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I've never heard about that before, like hiring professional criers <laughs> to show how I, people yeah. love their family. I also didn't know about the funeral thing because it's also a Mexican tradition to visit a grave and bring a bunch of food and drinks. I really like that. I think we I liked when they were, <laughs> were missing out on that. About the cigarettes. Yeah. Actually, let him smoke. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> But then it was like he never quit cigarettes. That was another right. white lie. One thing I liked too from the very beginning when Billy's in New York and she's on the phone with her, her grandmother says, be careful about people ripping out your earrings. Because when I was young, I used to be so worried about that. Like yeah. they would say, if you go into the city, people are going to rip your earrings out. Yeah. I was so worried. Every time I really? went to New York when I was a kid, I was worried of people be ripping out your earrings. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's like a Halloween candy thing. Like it's an mm-hmm. urban myth that did not ever happen. It was not a thing, but they made people worry about it. <laughs> like, yeah. That was really funny. I remember being a kid hearing about New York City and the thing that everybody said was if you go to New York everybody who lives in New York gets mugged and I'm like oh okay it's Gotham (laughs) you know who will rip out your earrings is a baby (laughs) (laughs) those motherfuckers I do know someone who had her earring ripped clean out earring just yeah she had to get stitches in her earlobe oh my gosh babies are stronger than they look (laughs) well is it time for meaningful passages then started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. My favorite meaningful passage, I think, which is just in general hard relate, is when they're in the spa and the <laughs> spa lady says, have you been stressed lately? Try to relax. <laughs> <laughs> I like, let the man smoke, he's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite line. 
Uh, I didn't like what came after, but I did like, we have a saying, when people get cancer, they die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I also liked when, I think it's her grandma, or maybe it was Aunt that when she gets in, they're like, you're not that skinny. Your mom says you're not skinny. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was like a very relatable thing that like when you see your family, they will comment on your appearance. Whether it's positive or negative, it's like you get the assessment from family, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And it's always, like, even if it's a compliment, it's, like, a backhanded compliment in some way. My sister Tracy is, like, the queen of the, like, <laughs> hostile compliment. Like, okay, you're the beautiful one. Like, what? Well, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, right, I'm there sorry. There one. <laughs> My mom, she was very much the queen of the backhanded compliment, too. Or, like, just the judgmental, not even the compliment, but, like, just the judgmentalness about my appearance. When I was a teenager, like, are you trying to look ugly? Are you trying to look bad? <laughs> oh, when I'm leaving the house, I'd be like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And then I remember when Frankie was born, how she was like, maybe he'll get cuter. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, my God. oh Frankie's so She was yeah. like, well, I just... Just Lulu was such a beautiful baby. I was just so surprised when he came out that he wasn't as beautiful as Lula. I was just like, what are you fucking talking about? For one thing, babies always look weird when they come Not all babies, but a lot, definitely a lot of white babies when they come out look weird. <laughs> they all look like little shriveled men. When he hit toddlerhood, she was like, I'm so glad he's cute now. I'm so relieved he's cute. Oh I was God. like, oh, Jesus Christ. He's so fucking cute. <laughs> he's hilarious, too. He's His videos so but, like, you're not supposed to say that, even if you right, were yeah. hideous, right? Even if you looked like the elephant man. It's like, cute baby. That's what you're supposed to say. I don't need to know how you really feel about my baby. <laughs> That's what's so interesting, too, about my mom, was that she was the queen of telling everybody how she really felt about everything. She couldn't keep anything to herself, but she couldn't handle the truth from anybody. Yeah. yeah. There's a line for my book. Yeah. <laughs> That's a revelation I just had. We can probably all think of examples. I don't, I don't want to make disparaging comments about anybody on my podcast. Greetings and salutations. Hey. Let's dedicate this episode to our Michigan listeners. This is Michigan. Mm. Does anybody know anybody from Michigan? My dad grew up in Detroit, but he does not live there anymore. And he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so I doubt he's told other people to listen to it. <laughs> that would be weird. Anybody in Michigan, actually. My parents went to college there and got married there. But that's it. That was many, many years ago. My sister yeah. Tracy lived there for a while. Ann Arbor's in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't live in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor yeah. She didn't live in Ann Arbor. Okay. Was, yeah, her husband did grad school at... The one that's not in Ann Arbor, okay. so it's like there's U Michigan and Michigan State. U Michigan is in Ann Arbor. Okay, so it was in Michigan State then. Oh, I only know that because yeah, of my parents. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you right. go. <laughs> I heard many a tale of going to U Michigan from my mom. Oh. Yeah. That's where the big chill people went. Oh, oh really? Oh, I like these stuff in the West. They watch the football. That's such yeah. a comfort food uh, movie. You guys have mentioned it a bunch. <laughs> The only thing movie. I know about the Big Chill is that one Stella sketch about it's like based on the Big Chill. Oh no, I have to watch it. I've never seen it. I'm sure I will love it. You will, for sure. Oh my god. <laughs> if you watch it, take it with a lot of grains of salt. You know, that yeah. I'm not necessarily saying it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's very enjoyable to watch, but I would say it's ensemble, but there's like A story, B story, and I would say like the C story is the best one, is the one with like Joe Beth Williams and Tom oh, Berenger, yeah, JT yeah. Lancer. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. That's like my favorite storyline that's going on is those guys are really funny. 
Tom Berenger mm. is like a TV star, and he has a show that's basically <coughs> TJ Hooker, if you remember the show TJ Hooker. I do, Hooker. yeah. It's hilarious, but it's called JT Lance. TJ <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hooker is what Floyd is auditioning for in True Romance. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not Floyd, I'm sorry. What's his name? I know who you're Michael Rappaport. Right, yeah. right. Oh, God. I've got to see that again. It's been so long. Mitchell has some props, but it's enjoy, and it's like Kevin Klein who's great, and Jeff Goldblum is really good in it. William Hurt. Yeah. Uh, Meg Tilly. I love Meg Tilly. Like her character's not my favorite, but I do love Meg Tilly. And Kevin Costner <laughs> is the corpse, so that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've made that specific reference before. <laughs> Which, yeah. His best movie, yeah. His best role, yeah. Um, Oh, one other meaningful passage I liked. I like where Billy is going with Nine Nine to check out the banquet hall. She's talking to her granddaughter, and she's like, I know you have a lot going on, but you can't be weird at the wedding. (laughs) She's just like, don't be weird. I thought that was a good line. One of my favorite lines. My mom was always very concerned with how we acted, like at church or functions or whatever. And I thought that was a funny line. Don't be weird. And it's like, what is weird? Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's pretty relative, isn't it? Yeah. I liked the line that her dad said to explain what's going on. I thought the best explanation that anyone ever gave in the movie for doing this was from her dad, where he says, it's our duty to carry this emotional burden for her. And I also kind of hard related to that line because one of the many lies I told my mom all the time, (laughs) which was that everything was okay between us, basically, when she was dying. You know, anything that bothered me, I was just, it was gone. I'm going to pretend like we're best friends because I know she's dying. Mm -hmm. And she had one friend that was around a bunch who told me that my mom had said to her, I'm so glad that everything's okay between me and Jessica now. So I was like, well, it worked. (laughs) But I still have a lot of unresolved feelings. So that line resonated with me in that regard. I was carrying that emotional burden for her and I will carry it for the rest of my life because that's a decision I made and a gift that I gave to her. I don't know, it makes yeah. me sound like I'm a saint or whatever, but I think it would have been worse to be fighting with her till her dying yeah. day. So it was also a kind of selfish thing that I did. Yeah. Kind of see it both ways as being a gift and being a selfish thing to do. Hey. <laughs> Not one of the most fun meaningful passages, but pretty meaningful, I guess. Yeah, well, it's not called fun passages. It's not meaningful. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, you'll excuse me. Oh, I have another fun fact, which is that Aquafina had to learn Chinese for the role. Oh, I was wondering. (laughs) And apparently her pronunciation is not great. That's like an extra little Easter egg for Chinese speakers, is that her accent is really bad, apparently. Oh, (laughs) they worked that into the movie, too, because she commented my Chinese isn't that great yeah, I I love that. yeah. it's great keep going yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it yeah. apparently isn't oh, <laughs> I think she had to say that to explain it to people who uh, yeah. can watch the movie without subtitles <laughs> actually I wonder if they can't because of her lines being like <laughs> right. you can't understand her I don't know I always find that interesting to think about is accents in general are interesting and in speaking English with an accent and how, you know, someone speaks English with a Russian accent, they're not doing that on purpose. They're not affecting a Russian accent. They're like, that's how I speak. (laughs) This is how English comes out of my mouth because of how I speak my native language. I find that so fascinating. (laughs) The scene where they're saying goodbye and 
Billy and her mom get in the car and they leave and then Nai is like smiling and smiling until she thinks they can't see her anymore mm-hmm. and then you see her break down a little bit and her mm-hmm. sister comes up. That was so hard. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it was so sad. I, I really liked that. It's like nobody wants to be seen crying or having emotions and just all of that being vulnerable in front of people. When is it okay to be vulnerable and right. when it isn't? Yeah. <laughs> and why? Well, should we do our lunchtime poll? So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. When I suggested this lunchtime poll, I gave two options. And I feel like I still want to stick with the two options of like you can answer one or the other or you can answer both. I guess we do this a lot. But the question being, what is the biggest lie you ever told your family and or what is the dumbest lie you ever told your family? Because <laughs> I totally get not wanting to spill a big lie that maybe yeah, you could get busted okay, on. Yeah. But for me, since my mom's dead, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I can go first. Okay. So the dumbest lie is hard to pinpoint because I like literally lied about everything to her because it was just always easier than telling the truth. Like to the point of like stupid shit, like even what I was eating or like I wouldn't tell her when we were going on vacation. It's just any time I told her the truth, it would be complicated for reasons that I couldn't possibly predict or fathom. So it was just always easier to just be like, nothing's happening. I don't want to talk about anything. Why don't you just tell me about your shit? But the biggest lie, which just kept coming back over and over again, was when I was a kid, my mom believed in, she believed in pretty much everything except for, like, real science. (laughs) Any conspiracy, any supernatural creature, any mystical anything, she believed it. She literally believed in aliens, fairies, all the monsters, chupacabra, skinwalkers, all of that. Oh my god. So when I was a kid, she was really into telling me about like how fairies and elves and all that, they're all around us. I was terrified of fairies kidnapping me because she would talk about that. Like, don't step into a toadstool ring because that's a portal to a fairyland. Whoa. And you'll go to the fairyland and time moves differently there and when you come back everyone you know will be dead this is shit she told a child (laughs) because she believed it so it wasn't like her being scary like i'm trying to scare my kid she's like you need to know the truth you need to not step into any toadstool rings so fortunately i realized fairly early on when i was like seven or eight that stuff's not real But my mom really thinks it is. And I don't know how to tell her as a seven-year-old, I don't believe in it. So I would be like, yeah, I believe that shit. So then sometimes she would be like, oh, have you ever seen a fairy? I'd be like, yeah, I saw a fairy. So then she was like, oh, my daughter has the gift. She can see supernatural things. There's a kind of child, like a star child. They come from Arcturus. They have special sensitive powers, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a star child. And she was like, that's wonderful. I always knew you were. (laughs) So I would perpetuate that for a while. And she seemed to really be into it. And it was like a bond we had. From her perspective, like, yeah, we bonded over this fact that, like, people believe in this stuff. And I'm a star child. And I can see fairies. And then one day I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. And I told her I didn't believe in it anymore. And she was like, oh, well, you used to. You used to know. She was like, you just can't. You lost the power. You can't see it anymore for whatever reason. I didn't tell her that I had been lying that whole time, though. Mm -hmm. So... Up until, like, forever, for the rest of her life, she would periodically bring up how I used to have all these powers and I forgot them and I lost them. And I never was like, 
Actually, I just never believed that stuff. And I told you I did to make it easier because I was a kid and I was scared of what would happen if you knew the truth. So yeah, she never knew. She always just thought I had these powers when I was a kid and I just forgot them. And then was skeptical because I didn't remember I had the powers. She always thought that forever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pretty epic lie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's mine. <laughs> mine is not as interesting at all, but I'm really not great at lying. One thing I do, and I have done a lot with my mom or like my sisters, I'm talking on the phone if I'm upset or have been crying. People ask me like, have you been crying or are you crying? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I just have a, I, I just have allergies. I, I'm just like, no, I just have a stuffed up nose. No, no. But that's my most common lie is like, oh. are you crying? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. That's just something I do. What would happen if, if you admitted you were crying? Would you then have to answer then a bunch of questions? Cry. I you would like start to... crying even more probably. Oh. I don't know. I'm just like super sensitive, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You lie that you haven't been crying because you don't want to keep crying? Or well, it's not because you don't want them to... Because I, I no. think my family knows I'm just like a really sensitive person. And I don't want to be that. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. So do you think they know that you're lying too when you say that you haven't been crying? That's a good question. Mm. I don't know. I always think I get away with it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't yeah. know. That's the big theme of this movie. People thinking they got away with it when they know, definitely it, it didn't. It always makes me feel good like... <laughs> Okay, cool. They don't think I'm crying. Cool. Or something. I don't know. I it Nail it. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. Okay, so I have one that it's a little bit more on the denial end because this mm-hmm. was denial about me, but it also was saying the lies. So, like, I used to smoke, not for that long, but from when I was 17 to 23 is when I smoked. And when I did smoke, I smoked a lot. I smoked like a pack and a half a day. That's a lot of smoking. So the sort of lie denial thing was officially my dad didn't know I smoked. <laughs> you know, like I'm sure, like you're around the smoker, like you, you can't, can right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, I'm sure I just like constantly reeked of cigarettes. My dad didn't know I smoked because that's just how we roll in my family. Mm-hmm. Like denial, especially yeah. with my dad. But what's funny about that, like the extent that people just see and acknowledge what they want to see and acknowledge is that right around maybe when I was like 19 or 20 so not even like close to when I quit smoking or anything but my stepsister got married and I went to her wedding in this cute black velvet dress and my sister took a picture of me in the dress and my dad had it framed on his desk and I'm smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I'm holding a cigarette in that picture and sent it to us because I have some like insane <laughs> <Yeah>. hair in that <laughs> picture. Oh, I want to see it. I don't know if I have it handy but I'll find it somehow. He still has it framed in his office. That's how far denial goes that it's like I don't want to know that my daughter smokes mm-hmm. so I'm just going to pretend she doesn't even have a photo of her holding a cigarette. And also what's funny is that then when I quit smoking like I couldn't brag to him about it. Right. You know? Like mm-hmm. I was really proud. I mean now he knows. It was an accomplishment that I couldn't really share with him because officially he didn't know I smoked at all. So it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of interesting too to think about like the statute of limitations on kids doing bad things mm-hmm. like I remember I told my dad I snuck out when I was a kid a couple years ago I was like yeah I used to sneak out and he was like I never knew that and I was like I know I didn't want you to know 
how many years it took me to admit that when right. I was like, I know it's fine for me to tell you that because <laughs> what are you going to do, right. ground me? Yes. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to smoke and I... You know, I thought I probably convinced a lot of people, like, I would Febreze my car, like, every morning. <laughs> and Febreze my coat. Febreze. Yeah, but yeah. it still smells Smoker's like friend. Yeah. smoky Febreze. Yes. Right. So, who was I kidding, you know? I gotta say, vape technology has come a long way towards helping people hide a smoking habit. Because, like, you really can't smell vaping. But it is impossible to hide cigarette smoke. I mean, even, like, yeah. remember when we could smoke in bars? Even if you didn't smoke, you'd go to a bar and you'd come home and your clothes would oh, yeah. be disgusting. Oh, yeah. You'd wake up the next day and it's all over you. Yeah, your you'd have to put smells. it, like, right in the... Well, you couldn't, like, if you live in an apartment, like, I remember I'd be like, gosh, I wish I could just put this in the washing machine right now, but it's, like, 75 cents to wash a load of clothes, so I have to wait <laughs> until I have more clothes. <laughs> yeah, it would be hard to hide that. You reminded me of a... Margaret Tanner. I was gonna say that, I know. That's like no one ever knew she smoked. That's my favorite exchange in that movie. It's a high bar, but one of my very favorite exchanges. Top five is how long have you smoked? I forget how long she's 18 years. Well, I think you should quit. (laughs) But also like the cigarettes good they those aren't mine. They fell out of your pocket. Yeah, there's that scene where she's in the bathroom smoking mm-hmm. and she sprays. The yeah, thing. yeah. 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 <laughs> I love the way she's perched on the window. Yeah. Now oh, that movie rules. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough female characters in that movie for us to do it, baby. Oh, right. Yeah. Not and a big Bechtel fan, Wes Anderson. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it technically does. She and Ethelene, I'm sure, talk about something that's not a man. That exchange right there is, you know, how that's long true. Have you been a smoker. I think you should quit. Yeah, so. But it's not a female-driven movie. It sure is not. How very. On the next episode of Paid in Puke, we go on a girl's trip with the 2017 comedy directed by Malcolm D. Lee and starring Regina Hall, Tiffany Haddish, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Queen Latifah. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.